Hello and welcome to another episode of The Genius Podcast. My name is Karen Doyle, your host and founder of The Genius Project, an initiative for Catholic women designed to support and resource you towards growth in all areas of your life, spiritual, personal and professional. We seek to do this through the Catholic Women's Masterclass, The Genius Podcast, which you're listening to, The Genius Academy and our Catholic Coaching Programs for Women. If you are interested in any of these initiatives, please visit our website to find out more, www.geniusproject.co or send me an email at info at geniusproject.co. You can follow us on Instagram, genius underscore project underscore daily, on Facebook or the YouTube channel. On this week's episode of the Genius Podcast, I am joined by Janae Franco from Louisiana in the United States. In today's conversation, Janae and I are going to unpack this stronghold and mindset of perfectionism. We're going to take a look at how it shows up in our lives as women, what's at its root and its cause, and how the Lord wants to redeem this area of our life. So ladies, if you struggle with perfectionism or any other negative limiting mindset, sit back and take a listen to this episode as we unpack some ways in which we can have this area of our lives redeemed. Enjoy. Well, Janae, welcome to the Genius Podcast. It's fantastic to have you joining us all the way from the USA. So welcome. Thank you so much. I am really excited to be here. I'm very excited to have you here. I've been following along your Instagram page for quite a while, and you've just got some really beautiful insights into, I guess, some of the mindset barriers that we as women face and I love the way that you just process as you go. And so I feel like I'm sort of walking along the journey as a friend. And I know a lot of other women have that experience too. So it's great. So tell me a little bit about your background and what led you to, I guess, doing Catholic coaching and working in this space with women. Yes. Thank you so much. That's probably one of the best compliments you can give me. I I really (laughs) strive to be authentic and just bring you along the journey with me because nobody wants a coach or, um, you know, somebody that has it all together. I think um, we all want to know that people are real and they're on the journey with us. And um, so, yeah, thank you for that, that um, feedback. So I am a Catholic wife and mom. I've been um, married for about 13 years ish, give or take, I think it's 13 years this year. (laughs) And we've got four lovely children, three girls, 10, eight, and six, and a little boy who is three. And really, I, for a lot of years, stayed home with the kids. And um, just about mm, a little less than two years ago, toward the end of COVID, I had finished some really intense and about six months of counseling, where I had really dealt with some things that had been holding me back for a really long time. And uh, I just felt a stirring in my heart. And I, I would spend time in prayer. And it was like, I had kind of accepted some things, but I felt like the Lord was calling me to something bigger. And I came across my mentor and coach, Lisa Canning, at a conference that Leah Darrow was putting on through Lux University. And there was something about her that I just really gravitated toward. And I started right around this time. In addition with that, I had felt this call to do ministry, some kind of way online and connected with another friend who was really helping me learn the ropes. This was not something I was about to get off of Facebook. And he was like, no, actually, uh, just because personally speaking, I was doing a little too much scrolling. I was doing a little too much comparison. I was just, 
it was just not a great healthy place for me yeah. at the time. So anyway, long story short, I get started. I start kind of building a brand. I feel called to begin a business. And wow. I, it took me months to even call it that. Yes. <laughs> where I, was, yeah. oh, I don't really know about this. I'm going to stay at home mom. Like this is where the holiest place is, right? Like I should just want to be home with my kids and I yeah. shouldn't do anything else in addition to that. Uh, but knowing Lisa, that's like one of her big passions. And she really um, brought that out of me. She became, a, she's become a friend, mentor, coach, all of those things. And over the past couple of years, really, I've just kind of taken one step at a time. Where I've really kind of been taking steps in faith and the Lord has like continued to show me mm. really kind of what's next. And mm. so I started hearing about Metanoia Catholic and their work because Lisa was going through their purgative way coaching training program. And she started, she had been coaching me, doing some business coaching. And I saw her coaching chain. And I thought, what is this? Like, this is authentically Catholic. This is everything I've wanted, like, but I've never seen this in action. And so I just had, it was so monumental for me to deal with all of these thoughts that I was having about making that transition between being a stay-at-home mom into being an online entrepreneur and what that even looked like to be able to stand on my own two feet and not hide behind other things. Um, and so, yeah, it was just really beautiful to watch her coach me. And so by, you know, by the summertime, after a few months of coaching, I was like, I need this. I need to do this. <laughs> like, this is, this is it. This is what the Lord has been calling me to. And that's really how it felt. Mm. My husband and I were having a conversation relatively recently. And he was like, it was like you were kind of bushwhacking, like through the, you know, through the brush and you're like not quite there yet. And then finding Purgative Way and the Catholic anthropology behind all of the coaching, it was like, this is it. Mm. This is what you're meant to do. Yeah. And so, yeah. And so it's just been a really fun journey um, to kind of get to that place. Yeah, it's beautiful, isn't it? I know my husband and I studied many years ago at the John Paul II Institute in Melbourne. We did our master's in theology, marriage and family studies. And when I first came across it, and the feminine genius stuff was what I majored in, just that mm -hmm. level of insight, the depth of just understanding was profound, actually. And I know I had a similar experience going through the Purgative Way course as well, just these light bulb moments, one after the other, because we receive a lot of personal development and motivational quotes, don't we, in the secular space. Mm -hmm. But there's something very beautiful when it's coming through that Catholic lens, and it really is and leads us towards the fullness of who we're created to be, I think. And it's mm. such a gift. So I know you and I have both been through that recently and are moving into this space of coaching people in a Catholic setting and through a Catholic lens, which has just been amazing. And I noticed that you said you saw Lisa's coaching change. And I'm interested, what did you actually pick up on? What was the change that sort of, I guess, connected, captivated you? I think the change, hmm, it moved from strategy, which she's very good at, into just the whole idea of what they teach of the model where it's like, this is the circumstance and this is what you're feeling, but there's actually a thought in between there. Mm, that like, sacred space, right? It really is. And being able to pause, to create space there so that you can own it that you can because you're consenting to it whether you know it or not mm. so to be able to really understand that piece yeah. and that is really what awoke in me a lot of realizing how much self-reliance there was Power, mm. powerlessness I was always kind of aware of from counseling 
from other some of Dr. Bob Shute's ministry with what's it called? Healing, healing the whole person and all of yes, those. That's it's right. John Paul the John Paul the Second Institute. I'm yeah, like totally not the institute. It's a I think it's a center for healing and transformation. Center for healing. What? A, yes, it's <laughs> I'll, so I'll put it in the show notes. <laughs> put it in the show notes. So his work. I had read some of his work. Fantastic. So I knew powerlessness was there. But I, I was so, yeah, I just was not aware of the self-reliance piece at all. And that was, I think, one of the most life-changing parts of the journal. Because once she started coaching me that way, I, I had the journal. I didn't do it every day at that time, but I was playing around with it and I kind of knew it was there. And so that piece in the journal where it's repenting and renouncing, and I was like, this is great, you know, because you can acknowledge how those thoughts that you can finally see that you're having are leading to sin. They're leading to vice. They're leading all these places that you away don't from the Lord. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so instead of being a victim, you're like, well, I love that part in mass. It says in my thoughts and in my words, it's like, well, we have to know what our thoughts are in order to reject them or consent to them. That's right. And so that's, it, that, I think for me, it was that slowing down. Yes. It wasn't so much about strategy. It wasn't just about the action steps. It was about how can we address what the Lord is doing in your heart and in your life? Yes. And the sessions didn't accomplish as much or, you know, we didn't quote unquote, get as much checked off the list. However, that was a major piece of my own transition to that mindset. I mean, I was, I was stopping myself in a sense because I had all this drama in my head yes. about what it meant to be a mom and be a business owner, mm. like so much. So I just wasn't moving. If that makes sense. Yeah, I would do, but it would feel like white knuckling, like I was doing it, you know, mm. not that the Lord was Leading. doing it in me. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I know that when I had, we couldn't have kids for six years, and then we had three kids in three years. So we said to the Carmelites, please stop praying now. <laughs> we were like, thank you, Lord. This is amazing. But um, I remember really battling that with my first because we went from both of us speaking, that was sort of what we did to being at home and this sort of internal struggle between it's either that or that rather than it could be both. It has to be done in obviously a godly way in a way that's got those priorities in check, but it is possible. So I think that actually is a common battle for women, that sort of internal struggle between work and raising a family. And I know Lisa does a great job in sort of speaking into that and really elevating women's gaze to realize that they actually can do both and then how they can actually do both. So yeah, it's, it's beautiful. Yeah. And, and even just the idea that we're not all called to do both. It, it does take discernment. Absolutely. Yes. But there's nothing wrong with us. If that is something that we desire, we have to understand where our desires actually come from. Mm. Mm. And in a sense, like, looking back, the Lord really was purifying a lot of my desires before I even got to that point. And even still, it's almost like I, I can see how I couldn't really move forward until I could be in the right mindset. Mm -hmm. Yeah, if that makes sense. Where you're oh. not looking for affirmation as much from other people, not to say it doesn't happen. But that moment where Peter's walking on the water, right, where he has his eyes on Christ. Mm -hmm. But as soon as he looks down, or he starts to doubt, he, he sinks. So yeah. It was like that for me. The second I started comparing myself to the woman next door, I would start to sink. And so I, I, he really had to work on that. But it's like, if I wouldn't have stepped out of the boat, he couldn't have done that work. That's right. Yes. Like I had to move in order to, you know, my favorite thing is just like action, discernment in action. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like they kind of, sometimes they really, you reach a point where you really just have to go. 
Absolutely. And I think if you're really in prayer and you're seeking the Holy Spirit, he, if it's not the right avenue, he will close that door and it won't have flow to it. There won't be a sense of peace in that place. So you're right. I think discernment really happens through action. And sometimes that action's imperfect and messy, but if we're staying close to the Lord, he does direct our paths, that beautiful scripture in Proverbs. So Janae, you spoke about this journal and I'd love you before we dive into, I guess today we're going to be talking about perfectionism and, and how this can have a real stronghold in the lives of women. But one of the keys, I think, to overcoming whatever toxic limiting mindsets that we struggle with is around bringing them to prayer. And this tool from Metanoia Catholic, the Metanoia Journal, has been profound in my life. I, I, you've sort of touched on, you had the same experience. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, 100%. can you share a little bit about your experience journaling with that particular tool? Because it's not just journaling and writing things down. There's a, a seven sort of step process here of bringing our thoughts to the Lord and being renewed by the transformation of our mind. So what was your experience of, I guess, picking up that journal and using it for the first time? Oh, goodness. The first time, it definitely felt a little bit like riding a bicycle for the first time. You're kind of like, and then, of course, being the perfectionist or recovering perfectionist. And you are. Okay, there we go. We just needed to put that in there so people understand where this is all coming from. I wanted to do it right, right? Like I wanted to do it correctly. And so I was kind of yeah. like, oh. Now I didn't let that hold me up like I might have in you know the past as much um, because I do have videos on each of the steps and so I did like I enjoy learning new things I don't know if you're familiar with Clifton Strengths mm, very yes yeah I'm, I'm top three learner input intellection there you go give me all the give me right all. up your alley <laughs> and so. But the thing that I didn't like was I had journaled before and it was open pages. And so I was like, I don't know if I can do this thing that like requires me to write certain things at certain times. And so that was the main reason why I kind of avoided it for a little while. But my experience with the journal really, I do love the prompts for that reason. And I do keep my journal next to it. That's just open pages. So that if there's something else that I really need to process or work out more, I have more pages. Like it's, it's doable. Yeah. But I love how it starts with like, a win. And I really, I'm really very easily focused on the gap and not the gain. If you've heard of that concept, mm -hmm. it's like, I can, I can see always how far I have to go and not how far I've come much. It's much easier for me to do that. Mm -hmm. And so I love how it starts with that. And then it has gratitudes and I've never been great about keeping a gratitude journal. Cause I'm like, that's just one more journal I, have to keep <laughs> up with. I already have a journal. So I love how there's that challenge. And so if I'm struggling with my kids that day, I might write like two things I love about each kid as my gratitudes. Like it might look different each day. Um, or maybe it's 10 things I love about myself if I'm struggling with myself that day. And so anyway, without going into too much detail, I just love how they walk you through different parts. And then what I've learned to really do is really that non-filtering part where you just dump your thoughts out on paper. Or for me, sometimes it's actually feelings or emotions, because I'm more in touch with my emotions sometimes than I am with my thoughts. Um, and so it might be like, I got anxious because this is what happened or, but just dumping all that out, writing my thoughts, I started to realize how many lies, how many things that were like, when you look at the tone, you're like, this is not how God speaks. Like I know him from scripture, you know, this is not it. Mm -hmm. But I think that the real life-changing point, like I said before, was that repenting and renouncing because it got to where it's like, Usually, I think we all have a hard time looking at our faults, looking at the ways that we failed, um, 
because we can make it mean a whole lot more about us Mm -hmm. as though our good actions were actually from us. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like as though, oh, that's really us. And then we don't want to look at all the ways we failed as opposed to like God's grace is how we do anything. Like without God's grace, I would be like in a ditch somewhere. So um, yeah, that was just an interesting thing was to be able to process that on the pages of the journal in like a framework way. They give you a framework, like there are ways to do it. I like that too, but it can also be open-ended. But the way I saw it was very much like the parable of the sower where, you know, you're tilling the ground, you're pulling out all the things, the rocks and the gravel and the thorns and all, all the stuff so that the seed of God's word can really sit on your heart. And so I love that you repent, you start to see how these actions are leading nowhere good, usually to vices, sins, you know, even just not helpful behaviors, and then being able to receive God's word. So what I do is before exercise seven, I'll read the readings of the day. Mm, Beautiful. And I feel like all that previous work, it's like, that's what tills the soil. So then it's just ready to receive what the Lord has. Mm. And it's really opened up the scriptures in a different way, because I, I'm not distracted as much. I've calmed my, my mind down. Like I've allowed the Holy Spirit to already kind of come in and prepare this. Mm, beautiful. So that's been kind of my experience with the journal. And that's why, honestly, it's pretty much every day I do yeah. it. Yes. Similar to you. I sort of looked at it. I didn't like being contained with questions or prompts, but I persevered because we we're going through the training and my goodness, every single day now without fail. And like you said, it's just um, being really intentional that we do forget that there is this sacred space where our thought life happens. And so often we're caught up on this treadmill, this hustle treadmill, where we're so busy and we're so chaotic and we're so frantic and we're confused and we're reacting. And we're not really being intentional about how we choose to react. We think sometimes that those reactions are automatic, but they're actually not. And I think the journal gives us a beautiful space just to be really invited into this relationship with Christ where he wants to restore us, where he wants to transform us at this deeper level. And this is what secular coaching can't achieve because really the change agent for overcoming any of these things is Christ. And so this journal really brings all of that to the Lord. And so one of the things that we're going to dive into today, one of the things that so many of us struggle with and we need to bring to the Lord is this area of perfectionism. And you touched on that you've struggled with it. I think I probably struggled with it early in motherhood and realized that perfectionism and three kids under three were never going to align. It was a brutal awakening to just doing this work, like this soul work that we all have to do at some point. Mm -hmm. And I think we do reach a point in our lives where some of the patterns that we have had, our beliefs and our ways of living have served us to a certain point. But usually it comes through adversity, challenge, grief, or whatever it is, but it brings all of those to the surface and they have to be dealt with because if we don't deal with them, that's when we sort of start to move into very dysfunctional ways of behaving. We hurt ourselves and we hurt others and that's not what we're made for. So I'm wondering if you can touch on, I guess, your understanding of what perfectionism is and just how it showed up in your own life. Yes, absolutely. So it has been an interesting thing. It's, as you know, we spend some time in our story, right? Because we're here and we want to speak to women that are in a similar place. And so it was kind of relatively recent that I realized perfectionism was something 
that was really laced throughout most of my life. Um, and it had really caused a lot of the anxiety, um, some of the symptoms or if, for lack of a better word right now that kind of come from this perfectionism can be a really a low sense of self-worth. It can be uh, definitely anxiety, depression, some mental health disorders, um, kind of a need to control everything around you. It can make you just like really what I saw that I was so displeased with was my anger toward my kids that was just so easily like roused. And then um, just this need to control them and then other aspects in my life. And really much of that I dealt, and I thought I had kind of dealt with a lot of it in counseling because there was a relative sense of peace for a while, you know? And then in the, like around December or so, things just got bad again. <laughs> I was like, what is going on? Don't and you hate that when you feel like you've dealt with something, you're like, oh no, not you again. <laughs> yes, but it was like God in his goodness. It's like, he's too good to just leave me mm. where I am because what I don't see is all of these walls that I have up between us. I might think that we're like, you know, eyelash to eyelash or whatever, but like the reality is that's not going to really happen until heaven. So until then I might as well just, you know, embrace the fact that I'm weak. There's this scripture, this particular scripture. It's been for five years. I remember him really giving it to me for Lent, maybe about five years ago. And he is just, it's, I think it's going to be a life verse. It's second Corinthians 12, nine for my powers made perfect in weakness. Um, yes, my grace is sufficient for you for my powers made perfect in weakness. And he's just brought me every level through that. And so most recently I realized that my perfectionism was very much based in this. I did not want to look at my faults because it was humiliating because I, I would, I would, you know, yell at my kids. And then instead of being, I was more angry that I made that mistake than that I hurt God by or hurt them by yelling at them. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like, I could see that it wasn't so much the anxiety I was feeling. It was the fact that I hated myself for yelling at them. And then, the, you know, that cycle of self-hate and self-loathing and shame and all of that just kind of came bubbling to the surface. And thankfully I have just a really great confessor and he's really walked me through a lot of these things. I remember it was one weekend in particular in the summer and we kind of, we do like a saint of the year. Um, this priest friend of ours carries a box around for like the entire months of January. And so you like pray and then you pull a name out of the hat. Oh, that's cool. It's really cute. And so like we got St. Faustina. Oh, year. I love St. Faustina. She's, mm. yeah, she's amazing. And so I was like, okay, mercy. Yes. And then I started realizing I needed to have mercy on myself. So I, I feel like I'm digressing a little bit, but basically there was this weekend, I was alone with the kids. My husband was working. And I was, yeah, I started yelling at them and then I just, it just got worse and worse and worse. I'm like, I'm in tears. They're in tears. Everyone's hiding from me. And I was like, what happened? And I met with my priest, like the second I could get away on Monday it's for confession. And he like walked me through this whole, like, and it, it was in that, that I realized that I needed to forgive myself. Like it yeah. was one thing for me to yell at the kids. It was another thing that once I yelled at them, I couldn't forgive myself. So then the, the yelling was actually coming from the fact that I was continuing to hate myself. Yes. I mean, that's crazy. So, so for me, I think that's where a lot of the perfectionism has come from, has been very much this, this need partially. So partially this need to be perfect. Mm -hmm. And then the other piece 
Um, so to not look bad, but then the other piece is very much, I am a very high achiever. So I'm also high in the Clifton strength of achiever. It's yes. my only executing strength in my top 10. Okay. <laughs> um, I like to do things and to get them done and to do them right. Yes. And so that has been a part of, I've always loved to do well in school. I've always wanted to be like first chair in orchestra. I've always like wanted to be, you know, do as well as I possibly could in all my classes, all of those things. Mm -hmm. And so that achievement when I got to motherhood didn't have anywhere to go. Yeah. Like I didn't have kind of similar where you talked about when you were Mm -hmm. home with your kids, all of a sudden after having this whole life where you were speaking, I, it's not that I had that, but then it was like, I definitely didn't have that like at all. It's just me and the kids. Yes. And also I thought that I would be all over it and I was stunned at the person I was in it. I didn't like the person I was in it, similar to what you're saying. And it's quite confronting. They say that marriage is the vocation. I want to go and correct them and say parenting actually is the vocation. I understand the significance of marriage, but it's marriage, you can still be selfish in a marriage, but parenting calls you to a whole different level of self-sacrifice and importantly, self-awareness. Mm-hmm. And so if we as mothers and women in the workplace anywhere, really, if we don't become self-aware of these patterns, well, we mm-hmm. end up, you know, executing and projecting a whole lot onto other people. So mm-hmm. that's what you're sort of saying happened to yourself. And so it all comes to the surface. It really did. I, I found myself two years after my second baby, it was like six months in and I got diagnosed with postpartum depression and anxiety. And that was like a big wake up call. My, my big symptom was like rage, which still, still is uh, not as bad as it was then. And thankfully I got on medication. I found counseling. Um, all of those things kind of fell into place. And then soon thereafter, I actually found running. I don't still run just as a side note. It's it's been hard to maintain for um, other purpose, other reasons. It's not the greatest thing for my particular body. But at the time I found running, it was like July. I started a couch to 5K. I was like, I'm just going to try it and see. And I liked it. But when I ran my first 5K in September, I was like, this is amazing. I can finish something. <laughs> I can start something and then I can finish it. Whereas like dishes are constantly like that. You can't finish dishes. You can't finish laundry. The second you finish laundry, there's more dirty laundry there to wash. Like there's something about motherhood and, and like life at home that was very repetitive for me. And it was really frustrating to be in. I'm not saying that you can't find peace wherever you are, but I needed an outlet and it was really, really good for my mental health and otherwise to have this outlet. And so I started, I did my first 5k in September and I ran a half marathon in January. Oh my gosh. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Because when I put my mind to something, like I go, you know, you cannot stop me. Like, this is amazing. I'm going to run 13.1 miles. I say oh. first, as though I've done another, I have not. Um, as I've gotten older and had more babies, it's just, I, my joints just have a really hard time with it. Um, but I don't think it was the running, I guess is the point. I think I needed an outlet for this like drive that I had to like do things you know do meaningful things and that's really what started stirring I think when the Lord knew it was the right time I had been through I mean honestly I was a completely different person after counseling there was so much just trauma and other stuff that I needed to deal with Um, I was not at baseline when it comes to mental health and as we know we've talked about with coaches coaches are for baseline and above 
Mm-hmm. You know, so I really needed, I was blessed to have Catholic psych. I don't know if you are familiar oh, with their work. Yeah, Greg Batari is fantastic. Yes. He's been on the podcast and spoken at our Catholic Women's Summit. So he, it's such a gift the way that they do psychology and counseling. And it was before they changed their model, but still it, it yeah. was life-changing to have yeah. a Catholic counselor yeah. who yeah. could bring God into those dark moments in my life. Mm. You know? And did you experience that transformation through that counseling? Like you were able to deal with past trauma through that experience. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. And yes, very much so. And my, my counselor was amazing. And it was actually very similar to this very intentional work that we even do as Catholic coaches. Um, she added some human formation a little bit, but it was understanding where that fit in the context of salvation history, hmm. you know, and the passion of the Christ and meditating on what that looked like and my deepest sorrow and, and then the grief to be able to process that in a way hmm. um, that gave me hope to move yes. forward. Yeah. Because here's the thing, like you and I both know this, but you would have been experienced this in your life. I have too, where some of those really strong emotions, some of those darker areas of our life, it's easier just to put them in a neat little box and keep going. And I think, you know, the type A personality, the stoic personality, and it just ramps up the overachiever. Like the more that these things become bigger, I think sometimes for people, the more their energy increases and they are trying to drive themselves out of this place And it seems counterintuitive, but actually the way out of that place is to face, to come face to face with your fears, to come face to face with your brokenness and the trauma and the grief, and to actually give yourself the time and space to walk through that. Because, you know, Richard Raw says that pain that is not dealt with is then transmitted to others. The pain that's not transformed by Christ is transmitted. And so we all have to do this inner soul work. And it usually happens when we hit a new point in our life, whether it's career, motherhood, whether it's through grief and loss, at some point, all of us do face this season. And it's how we respond, what we choose to do in that season, what we're going to consent to. And that's what you're sort of sharing in your life, that you actually made that decision. You gave yourself that time and space to do the soul work. And God does meet us there. It's like I often think of, a, you know, a rubber ball in the swimming pool that we can push it and try and push it under the water, but somehow it has a way of just making its way to the surface. And that's the same for all of us with these strong emotions and, and the things that are at play in our life. Yeah, and I love that you mentioned the emotions because that's a big piece. We, we talk about processing our emotions a lot in, in the Metanoia Catholic yeah. process. And what's funny to me, and I just kind of made this connection, of how I'm trying to, you know, kind of grow a business with kids at home. Whereas a lot of times in my head, I was like, well, when the kids are older then now granted mine are older and all of them are in school right now, but um, all of this happened. Like I started with Catholic psych in late December of 2019. Okay. It's getting to like March, 2020. And I'm like, I need a silent retreat. I need to get away (laughs) and I need to process. And we all know what happened in March of 2020. I was like, now all of a sudden I'm home with my children. And you can't leave. (laughs) I cannot leave. I cannot go anywhere. And there is some serious, like deep woundedness that I'm dealing with, you know, but the number one, it was on Zoom. So I didn't have, like, it didn't get canceled. I could go every week, you know, my kids were old enough. I could do it during nap time, you know, 
my husband was home sometimes to help, even though he was, he's in the hospital. So he was there, you know, nothing that changed really there, but it's just interesting how I thought I needed to get away in order to deal with the stuff that God wanted me to deal with. But he knew that that actually being with my family was going to be part of that healing process, Mm -hmm. being with my kids, being so present to what they needed. You know, honestly, for the first time in my life, I was like, you know what? I actually found this written in my journal. I shared it with my coach. It said, you know, if all you ever call me to do is to be a mother, I'll be okay with that. Mm. And like, I don't remember writing that. <laughs> like, what? what? That was a profound that, oh. moment. <laughs> but it was like, God just brought me to that place of peace. And I think it was there in letting go of all these dreams and aspirations and other things that I really was trying to force, mm. like by my own will. He was like, okay, now you're ready. Mm. I'm not saying it's like, he's withholding it. You, you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't, I don't think uh, it's a game. I- no, I think sometimes he has to bring us to our knees. Yeah. He really has to humble us. I know, you know, the first six years of our marriage, we tried for children. And I, I think I've shared this on podcasts in the past, but towards the end of that six years, it was really challenging me. It was not so much that my body wasn't working, but I felt like I wasn't working as a person. And there was this profound sense of failure, identity crisis. Who am I? At? Who am I? Like, what does it mean to be a woman? What does my marriage mean? And it was such a desert experience that we're, you know, we've just been through Lent and that experience of going into the desert with the Lord. But there's that beautiful scripture, and I just want to speak this over the women if they are having a difficult time, that those desert places, those moments where we actually feel like we're being buried alive, are actually the places, the sacred places where the Lord is doing his greatest work because it's in the struggle and it can only be in the struggle that the transformation occurs and that Christ can really come to us where we can really receive him and realise our dependence on him because we realise we, we can't do it in our own strength. And this is the challenge and the stronghold that perfectionism has in women's lives is we think it's all on us. So many women don't take a break. They don't do self-care because they think the whole world's going to fall apart if I'm not hustling for every moment of the day. The reality is no one's going to fall apart if you take a break and you'll actually come back to whatever you're doing a better, more whole person because of it. So I think there's a real invitation for women to, I guess, take a look at this stronghold of perfectionism in their lives and then we'll see where it shows up because it shows up for people in different areas. But then looking a little bit deeper, looking at what is the root of that? It's like we can see a tree, we know you know, the goodness of something by its fruit. And so if the fruit is bad, that, you know, it's not going to bear well in our lives and our relationships, but we need to go a little bit deeper into those roots. So where does that area of perfectionism come from in every, you know, people's lives? So I'm interested in your thoughts on that. Looking at the roots of perfectionism, what are the different areas that you've come to identify that are the roots for women for this stronghold? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. Um, I think it can come from so many different sources. Mm. You know, I've had a few friends that are like melancholic temperate temperament. Um, I am sanguine choleric. So, you know, I think for some, it can come from this self-doubt, um, but maybe a sense of powerlessness or abandonment. Um, oftentimes it's control, like you wanting to be in control. Cholerics might lean more toward the control piece. You know, perfectionists might lean more toward you know, this fear, fear Mm -hmm. of moving, fear of going forward. Um, 
yeah, I think it can very much look different depending on your personality and what you've been through in life. And I think I've kind of had a little bit of all of it. For sure, there was a fear of abandonment, but then also for sure there was some powerlessness. And I think that's where a lot of my need for control comes from, like wanting to be able to control the people around me. Um, And can I just make clarify here too, perfectionism does not mean doing things perfectly. Because I think some people have this false notion, but it actually is very much to do with control. So it's, it's important just to make that distinction that it's not so much because I've met people who are perfectionists, but their, their room is like a bomb's exploded or their, their work is really sloppy. So perfectionism isn't producing perfect work. It's really about the need for control and, and to make sure things are right. And, and it's very tied to self-worth that if I don't do things correctly, then I'm less than, or I I don't have worth. So I think that's an important distinction. Exactly. Maybe you're trying to please your parents. Maybe you had really controlling parents. And so you, you know, wanted to achieve in order to make them happy with your life, or maybe you felt like you needed to prove something. Maybe you wanted to seek some affirmation. Uh, Maybe you wanted to please other people. You didn't want to disappoint others. I know a, a lot of my perfectionism stems from that. I don't like to rock the boat. Um, I want people around me to be happy. I take a lot of responsibility for Mm. like my husband's emotions or my kids' emotions. And so it's almost like them not being happy reflects back on me. Um, yeah, we're making it mean a whole lot more about us Mm. than it is. You're right. There's a whole Mm. lot of facets Mm. of and what it can look like. And so it's, it's been interesting because I've been sitting with this for a while and something occurred to me recently when I was talking to a friend about it and I've kind of had called the course and, and the things that I've been working on as like a Catholic mom's guide to overcoming perfectionism. Mm. And I was like, but are we really overcoming it or are we allowing Christ to redeem it? Because mm. Mm. the devil doesn't come up with anything new. He can only twist what's already there. But what if the root of perfectionism, and I'm not saying like sin and vice, because it's actually like an evil spirit that can be renounced. Like there's the name, you know, perfectionism. But like when it comes to our natural tendencies, what if we have this strong zeal and desire to pursue excellence, which we know is the, the virtue of magnanimity, mm-hmm. is excellence, um, particularly in great things. And so if God has given us that, what if the devil just tried to twist it? And so it looks like perfectionism, but really God wants to redeem it. And so it's not that we have to leave perfectionism behind or overcome it so that we're not that person anymore, but yet we allow God to die to ourselves, right? Like humility and perfectionism don't generally go well together, which is why I've been working. (laughs) Um, But to die to ourselves and to allow God to redeem that so that we can actually achieve great things for the kingdom, pursuing mm-hmm. excellence, pursuing the things that are of God. Yeah. And so I think for me, that, that shift in my mind, even in the last five days has just given me so much hope um, because yeah. it's, it's even more evidence that I'm not wrong, that I'm mm-hmm. not bad ultimately. Because I think a lot of us that have perfectionism struggle with that shame, blame, like mm-hmm. you said, the stoic, you know, shove it all down. Yeah. Somehow like we can take, take control of that so I like that that's a that's a really beautiful insight yeah and especially I know we've been we worked through Sister Miriam James's book Restore during our Lenten series 
And we looked at, she talks about um, Bob Schultz's work too, that behind any desire, there is this, there's a, well, there's a desire there that's not necessarily wrong or bad. I think C.K. Chesterton said every man who knocks on the door of a brothel is looking for God. And I think that sums it up. Like the man is not actually looking for sex. He's looking for God. So there's a twisting and a perversion of some desires. But it's about going back even beyond that initial attraction to something and examining what is the desire? What is the unmet need that I have? And this is sacred work. It's holy work. The challenge we've got is we live in a culture which glorifies this perfectionism, doesn't it? It's, it affirms you for what you produce rather than who you are. We see this with mums staying at home. They go to a dinner party. Well, what do you do? As if her work in the home is not valuable. So I think we have to really, I guess, part of overcoming or having this area redeemed is about having a reset in the way that we think about it through the lens of the Lord and how the, the Lord is seeing this um, because I guess, you know, the perfectionistic instincts and impulses that make us worthy in the eyes of the Lord, they're actually the ones that we need to overcome so that we can have freedom in Christ. So it's, it's an interesting kind of paradox. There's so many paradoxes to our faith <laughs> and our journey and the, the whole gospel message, but yeah, I think when we see that showing up in our lives, where we see our value attached to what we're doing, we really have to look at what's going on behind that and, and bringing it to the Lord. Yeah, and I think, I think also kind of in that same sphere is being able to, as they say in like coaching sessions, sometimes like, okay, let's set the judgment aside for mm-hmm. a minute. Mm. Even like say you're jealous of something. It's like, okay, don't judge yourself for being jealous. Can we just leave that? Just pretend, you know, just put that over here for like two minutes. And I think that that's kind of what this does is to be able to, to admit that there actually could be something good at the root, Mm. um, helps to remove that judgment a little. So it's like, it kind of helps you relax. It's like like your kids, when you're having a conversation with them and if they think that you're angry and you're mad and you're judging them, they're not going to open up. But the second you're like, look, I just want to have a conversation. Mm. You're not in trouble. All of a sudden their shoulders relax and they're just like, oh okay, I'll tell you what was really happening. I'll tell you what's on my heart. Mm. I think it's a lot of perfectionism. It's not going to look, the roots aren't going to look the same for everybody, but it's the same idea of like, let's put the shame or the judgment aside. And like, let's look at how, Mm. how God, like look at ourselves kind of like how God looks at us and let him look at us and love us and change us. Yeah. And that's, that was my next question is, I guess, how do we, overcome perfectionism or how can we allow the Lord to redeem this area of our life? And I think the first one that I came up with, which you've touched on there, is learning to see ourselves the way that the Lord sees us and Mm -hmm. sitting under the gaze of the Holy Spirit and really receiving a profound and a deep sense of our identity as his beloved. Because Mm -hmm. you touched on our own children that we don't love our kids for what they do or they produce for us. We love them because of who they are, simply because They're children of God and they've been given to us as a gift. And the Lord sees us the same way, that our value and our worth does not come from anything we do. We know this. This is cliche. But it's sitting under the gaze of the Holy Spirit and actually believing it, not knowing it in your head, but then believing it in your soul. Because that then changes the way you engage in life, engage other people, the way you engage your own mission 
everything is transformed once you have that revelation of your identity. So I think that's the first one. Yeah. Like we, you know, I think I've, I've found before I found a lot of the, the Metanoia Catholic stuff. I was like, but I don't, I don't believe it. Like I can't, I don't know how to assent or to consent, whatever. I, I don't know how to get to that thought that I'm a daughter of God. It's not accessible to me. It's similar to when I read um, the scripture about the anxiety, like do not have any anxiety at all, but instead, you know, because God closed the lilies of the field. And I'm like, I don't know how to do that. <laughs> like, you're going to have to help, me, you know, it just didn't feel fair. Yeah. And so in the same sense, I think it's, it's work to kind of uncover this identity. You know, some of the, the steps that I've outlined in this process of, of redeeming our perfectionism is we have to understand what it is. We've talked a little bit about that. What is it? What is it? Where is it coming from? Let's define what perfectionism means to me because mm-hmm. me writing perfectionism down and saying, what does that mean to me is going to look different than you doing that. Mm-hmm. You know, like I said, for me, it's about, I don't want to disappoint others. I don't want to let others down. Sometimes it, it can look different in marriage and family and career, all of those things. So then once you do that, you need to identify what you're pr- protecting yourself from. We've talked about that with the roots, um, getting down to the root of it. We need to learn how to process our emotions. We've talked about that too. You know, like we've got to be able to process those emotions. I'm very good at shoving emotions down. It was very much either really excited or really sad for a lot of years because I didn't know how to access anything in the middle. Um, And that's been slowly coming from counseling and then now with coaching of being able to access those emotions, feeling them, not being so scared of them. Even the anxiety, like being able to allow the anxiety you know, I've talked a lot. I, well, I've talked a lot with my friends about this. Like I used to say I have anxiety and now I'm like, I don't really want that to be an identity for me. And I don't know for me that it is like, it could be that some people are more clinically in that area. But I said, I struggle with feelings of anxiety or anxiousness, but recently I'm weaning off of my medication. And so I've had a little, a few more episodes than normal Yeah. Um, where I've had to kind of allow it. Yeah. It's been uncomfortable because that's actually where I got the intel that I was actually mad at myself. Mm. Like I really just was embarrassed. You know what I mean? So anyway, allowing those emotions, processing them, Mm. um, being able to make space between us and those thoughts, the skill of objectivity, not making these things mean as much about us Mm -hmm. um, when other people even do things. And then like we've talked about breaking the habits of vice yes, and building habits of virtue allowing God to do that in us. And then finally, knowing who we are, knowing who God created us to be and being able to love ourselves. And I think clearing out the ground some, like we talked about with the journal, it really allows God's word and identity to be able to to actually take in our hearts. And we may not be able to go directly to this really high thought that seems really unreachable. Maybe you can just say like, I'm in the process of whatever, Mm. you know, that is Mm. more believable. Like we talk about in, in Metanoia Catholic, the, the belief ladder. Sometimes you can't go from one to the other Mm-mm. too quickly. Because you, if you don't believe it, you're doing more harm than good. Absolutely. There's a, uh, there's a beautiful book, as you're touching on a few of these things, Colleen Campbell. She wrote, I don't know, have you read her book on perfectionism? She's an no. American author. She's, she's beautiful. I was, um, when we were in Nashville a few years ago, one of the Dominican sisters gave it as a gift when I spoke at one of their events. And 
I didn't read it for a year and then it sat on my bedside table and then I picked it up at the right moment and everything just jumped off the page at me. There's a beautiful quote that she talks about this peaceful pursuit of an emotional awareness that we just become aware of what's going on inside ourselves, bringing that to the Lord in gentleness. Because when we hear those words, that harsh tone, that's brutal, that's condemning, that's criticizing, that is not the voice of God. It's not how he sees us. It's the voice of the enemy that wants to tell us that we're less than, that we'll never be. But the voice of God is very gentle and and very loving and very just soothing, just allowing his love to sort of wash over us and to reveal to us layer by layer, little by little, and I guess a revelation of where this is showing up and then where he wants to take us in our lives. So. He's very specific too, he is. which yes. is why the journal is so great is it's not just this over this thought where I'm feeling anxious. Like, why are you feeling it? Get to that word. Mm. Like, what is that thought? And yeah. I think the Lord is very specific when he speaks to us too. Is, yes, he is. Yes, because he wants our transformation. He wants our restoration. He, that's, I mean, otherwise he wouldn't have sent his son to die, <laughs> go through the whole passion, correct? So he wants this for us. So I think for women who are struggling, whether it's with perfectionism or any other toxic limiting beliefs, mindsets or patterns in their life, you have a God who is a God of restoration and he wants your wholeness. That is why he sent his son so anything less than that is not God's plan for you. And I just really want to encourage women to do this work, to really become aware, to create space, to become a student of their own interior life so that the Holy Spirit can transform those places because that's God's heart for each and every woman. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because he wants to be with us in heaven forever, right? Yeah. Like he wants- A little bit of heaven on earth right now. Like we can experience a little bit of that restoration here on earth. We don't have to wait till heaven. So we don't, we don't know that is very true, but, uh, but he does, he loves us too much. Like I, I've said this before, he just loves us too much to leave us where we are mm-hmm. because, you know, we each have a mission that only we can accomplish and yeah. not so much just so that we can like check this off the list and do it for the Lord. But he also know what is, he also knows what is going to give us fullness and and happiness and desire like all of those what is it live he wants us to live life and live it to the full Mm. and it's like that's part of living it to the full for me is this balance between motherhood and um and growing a business and coaching all of this it's like (sighs) (sighs) he knows that it gives me such joy and like, that's not a bad thing. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, and I'm sure you feel the same way doing what you do when you're following the Lord's calling, it fills you up with such joy and such, Absolutely. it is like a little taste of heaven on earth. Cause you're like, this is what I was born to do. Like yeah. anytime I'm done coaching, I'm like, yes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I do share that. I feel like I, I have this sense that I am living and working in, I guess my unique mission. This is what God wants me to be doing in this season But it didn't come about, like, I think people, and we'll wrap up soon, but I do think that we can look ahead at women on the journey and we can judge ourselves. We're coming in to their final chapter. We don't realize they've had to go through the fire to get to that place. Like I know in my own life, there's been a lot of suffering and a lot of grief and loss across many areas to get to the place that I am. 
And I do think that when we respond with our yes, in those hidden moments of suffering and pain and grief and whatever it is, and just also just the invitation to go deeper, the courage to deal with the darker parts of our life, when we do that in a hidden way with the Lord, then he can trust uh, entrust to us the next step in the journey. So I think there's a real call to be faithful to the season that we're in Absolutely. and trust that when you are faithful to your season, then the Lord will unfold the next one. And I, I love that song. It just came to my mind. I think it's a Hillsong worship song about Jesus, you're making new wine, you know, oh, bring new wine song. out of me, like in the crushing, in the pressing, create new wine. So I just want to give a word of encouragement to women that if they are in the struggle, if they feel like they're in the trenches of life at the moment, whatever that be, that in that crushing, in that pressing, the Lord actually wants to create new wine in you so that you can then step into your mission and do what the Lord has uniquely called you to do. Absolutely. I'll amen to that. Oh, <laughs> Yeah, so true. Well, look, thank you so much for your time. It's so, so beautiful to connect with you on the podcast. I could sit here for hours. I think you're such a kindred spirit, so much to talk about. <laughs> I know, right? We went, we went quite a while, but it's, uh, we're both passionate about it, right? Yeah. And, and helping people, I guess, because we both have experienced the transformation that comes when you do the work and when you have the tools to do the work. I think that's, the other thing is I, I have found the Metanoia Journal and, and just going through that coaching model has been profound in my life. And now that I'm coaching women, I'm seeing that in the lives of others. And I think there's a real move of the Holy Spirit in this area at the moment. I mean, my journey has definitely been one yes after another. If I look back at just even how God brought me to where I am now in the last like three or four years, yeah. it was just one yes after the next. Like you said, yes to the season that we're in, you know, mm. and jumping on these opportunities. When I, when I heard a podcast where I was like, like when I heard of Catholic psych, the first time I said, I need it, mm. I'm going to go find it. Do I like, I got the book, I read the book, you know, and then God brought me farther into the process there. But um, so, yeah, if you're listening to this and you're at all interested in the journal, get it, try it, do it. You're not going to regret taking that next step. Amen. To well, ladies, I hope that you found that conversation to be both insightful and helpful. If this is an area that you're struggling with, or if you have other areas in life that you are feeling need that little bit of coaching and that little bit of help to navigate, can I invite you to check out our coaching programs for Catholic women at the Genius Project. You can find more information about Catholic coaching for Catholic women at www.geniusproject.co and just check out the coaching page. In today's conversation, Janae and I both spoke about the impact that the Metanoia Catholic Journal has had as a tool in our life in this area of real and lasting transformation. If you would like to get a copy, please have a look on our website, www.geniusproject.co metanoia journals these are now for sale in australia through the genius project if you'd like to get a copy in the united states please visit metanoia catholic ladies i can't recommend highly enough the value of catholic coaching in my own life it has had a profound impact and now that i am a professionally trained catholic coach walking with other women through this process of restoration and transformation is really amazing. Catholic coaching is different to secular coaching in the way in which the method really invites 
people to go deep into their interior life. A Catholic model of coaching is very much grounded in the magisterium of the church. Rather than simply getting you to examine your external behaviours, we help you to hold your thoughts up to the light of God's truth and to become a student of your interior life. When we're living from a place of intention, when we're fully present to what the Lord is doing within us, well, this is where true and lasting transformation takes place. So ladies, if you would like some help in overcoming some of the patterns and the beliefs that have controlled your life, if you would like to step into the freedom that God actually intends for you, then I'd love to invite you to join me inside the Genius Project Catholic Coaching Program for Catholic Women. Here we offer one-on-one -on -one Catholic coaching as well as group coaching, and we will walk you through how to use this model from Metanoia Catholic around how we can begin to examine our thoughts so that we can be renewed by the transformation of our minds. You can find out more about the Genius Project Catholic Coaching for Catholic Women on our website www.geniusproject and check out the coaching page. Until next week ladies, have a beautiful week and God bless you.